welcome to the Midlife Masculine Podcast, where we talk about duties that we men need to fulfill. The masculine is driven by selfless duty, spirituality, and the overcoming of obstacles. It is raw, primal, selfless, principle-driven, solitary, and underappreciated. My name is Dhruv Sethi. Join me on the spiritual journey of acquiring knowledge so that we become independent, self-sovereign thinkers and doers for everyone. Find us on all major podcast platforms where we encourage you to like, share and subscribe or learn more at mlmpod.info. Welcome to another episode of Midlife Masculine. Today, we're talking about healing as men. As men, we want more money, overcome obstacles, have better dating experiences and achieve greater things. We harbor a lot of ambitions, but hit a glass ceiling as midlife men. Many times it's due to our own subconscious fears, fears of success or fear of failure or just stuck energies. And today we'll talk about different disciplines we can use to heal ourselves to achieve the things we want to achieve in life. We'll use this episode as a primer, but if you listeners want me to dig deeper into any of the disciplines, then let me know and we can have a more dedicated episode. And I'm joined by my friend Melissa, who is a tantric practitioner, sound healer, life coach, and lawyer. Welcome, Melissa. Hi. So tell us about yourself and how you got involved in all this as a busy city lawyer. Well, lawyers, I think more than maybe most professionals need healing. And that was a daily struggle for me at a period in my life where I just felt like my body was totally consumed by stress. I would love to say that that was the only problem that I had, but that was not the case. I think a lot of my own call to heal came from traumas that happened so early in my life, some not even within my conscious memory. And I think a lot of people who go into this field, it was my drive to heal that sent me down the rabbit hole of wanting to learn everything that I could and equip myself with as many tools as possible. Did you know specifically what it was or you just knew that you had to heal yourself somehow? I don't think I had the language to articulate it. I definitely didn't have a diagnosis, but how I would describe it is this feeling of complete nervous system dysregulation, a lot of fear of people, fear of intimacy, but simultaneous fears of loneliness and isolation and living in a permanent state of hypervigilance, looking out, okay, there's danger, where's the danger? And not knowing how to switch off or relax. Do you think that was a result of your profession as a lawyer? I don't think so. I think it was early attachment wounding that was bubbling beneath the surface, but something about going into this profession that was very taxing and a very stressful environment brought it all to the surface. And I think often with trauma, it can be really insidious in that something will happen outside of ourselves that forces us to go deeper and to look at it. And until that environment occurs or that external situation presents itself, we can live our whole 
lives in this traumatized state and perhaps the stress of being a lawyer made me feel like, oh, I have no option but to sort this out. So in your practice as a tantric practitioner, sound healer, what have you seen that's most prevalent in the people you work with, men or women? I think from the moment we're born, we are picking up stories, narratives about who we are. And some of these are very limiting beliefs. And the body of things that we've labeled as being unacceptable, unappealing, and we try and reject all these aspects of ourselves, and they form this shadow. The most common problem, I think, the journey that every single person must go on is the reintegration of these lost traits and consciously looking at what are the stories that I'm telling myself? Are they serving me? A lot of it comes from schooling, university, our friends, and some of it is genetic as well. We inherit it from our ancestors and we have to get rid of it. It's in our DNA, essentially. We can always get rid of it. And I suppose, would you say it's a question of men and women trying out different disciplines to see what works for them? Because not everything suits them, whether it's tantric, tantra or sound or... A hundred percent. And I'm highly sceptical of anyone who is too prescriptive about healing modalities. That I mean, that'd be great marketing to say. And people do often say, this is the thing that you need. But I think in a way we're all scientists in a lab conducting this experiment on ourselves and it is a very unique path working out okay what are the tools that are good for me and then also there can be certain aspects of certain modalities that work and others that just aren't your thing and so having an open mind some humility and the ability to take what serves you and just discard what doesn't is very helpful yeah, for sure. So let's talk about Tantra. What is Tantra? This is one of those questions where there's so much debate over how to answer it that I feel like there's no way of answering it accurately. So I'll give you the textbook dictionary definition. The actual word is Sanskrit and tan means to expand. And so Tantra is about the expansion of consciousness, but that takes many different forms. And it's an ancient tradition that encompasses breathwork, meditation, and working with your energy. The Western spin on Tantra has looked more at sexual energy and how that can be harnessed and used for health and vitality. But there are also non-sexual intimacy practices for connection and forming closer bonds and healthy relationships. They're very all-encompassing now that I'm describing it. Today. But in terms of the sexual tantra, let's begin with that. Why should men consider this? I think it's so sad what's happened to sexuality in the Western world, the objectification of the human body and the philosophy of everything now, instant gratification that has become so pervasive 
and it's so harmful to men and to relationships and this idea that sexuality should just be a means to an end robs men and people of so much pleasure and we don't realize what is being wasted when people are just releasing their sexual energy without thinking consciously about it and using tantric practices you can harness that energy for what it was made for creation and build things not just sexual things but a life that is everything that you dreamed of absolutely i mean your semen has the power to create life there's so much energy in there why would you waste it you can reuse it recycle it to achieve great things and recycle it to parts of your body that needs healing or to where you know you need more thinking power or more muscle mass definitely and when it does come to ejaculating when it does come to releasing being very intentional about where do i want this energy to go what do i want to feed this creative energy into because it's like a manifestation hack really being able to enjoy the sensation of ejaculations while simultaneously building the life that you want for yourself who wouldn't want to do that absolutely and just on topic of ejaculation we can have orgasms without ejaculating and those orgasms are far greater than the ejaculatory ones if we learn to use our semen recycling our semen properly i mean that's a great thing and men can become multi-orgasmic as well i mean that feeds naturally into the relationship to sex with a partner too because for at least for heterosexual men having sex with women the science shows that women take a lot longer to reach orgasm and so the ability to not ejaculate for longer or to orgasm without ejaculating so that you don't have to experience the refractory period mid-sex is highly beneficial to your sexual relationships as well yeah absolutely men want to race to the finish line but for women like you said it takes a bit longer so one of the most important skills a man can cultivate is his stamina and tantra is a key discipline for that what are some key exercises that men can do to cultivate stamina to become multi-orgasmic i think practicing circulating sexual energy through the body when you're not having sex when you're not masturbating prior to that point what most men and women too to a certain extent experience is this building of sexual energy almost like a pressure in the genitals that then leads to this compulsion to release it because it literally feels like it's going to burst out of you and using the breath using visualization you can draw the energy back up the spine and breathe it through your entire body and it's an amazing feeling it releases that feeling of pressure and simultaneously is sending this creative energy to every part of your body and when you practice it first in a non sexual context not whilst masturbating not whilst having sex it means that it becomes like a transferable skill that when you are in those sexual moments you're able to 
internalize and spread the energy rather than feel that pressure to immediately release. It is quite powerful. I've experienced it as well. Feeling is, or the feeling was, because you have to be quite regular at it. And if you're not regular, then you lose that skill. But in the past, when I was regular, I did experience that energy just goes up to your head and it's circulating. And I felt like Superman. It was like all the energy in my eyes. My eyes popped out and I was ready to do so many things. I was ready to take on the world. I felt like Superman. Nobody could harm me. Yeah. <laughs> and to be able to do that regularly... I hope to reach that point at some point, but to be able to do that regularly would be an amazing skill. I mean, we can achieve so many things with that motivation, that discipline and all of that. We are breaking the habit of a lifetime here, both men and women, because the Western world is addicted to orgasm as this quick fire way to release pressure. And so our brains are conditioned by the way that we live here to want the instant gratification, that five seconds of pleasure, that five second feeling of going over the edge. And by saying, no, I'm going to delay this process and consciously choose to, rather than release the energy, draw it inwards, spread it through my system, there is a much greater pleasure on the other side of that. But it's a habit, it's a practice, and it takes time. The same way somebody wants to become better at tennis, football, or become better at their work or get a promotion at work, they'll put in those extra hours. One could spend a few extra hours for some time to cultivate these skills. So how long do you think it can take men to cultivate these skills like internal orgasms, multi-orgasmic and just longevity, essentially? There's some physiological changes that occur. And I think that will take at least a couple of weeks of regular practice. But it's not a huge amount of time. I think actually more important than the physiological changes is the mental rewiring that occurs, which is that when you feel yourself wanting to release rather than sprinting towards that feeling, being able to move in the opposite direction, that's the hardest part for men. We're impatient as men. <laughs> we want to achieve great things fast. <laughs> some exercises that men can do, just some of the key ones that they can take away after this episode and just start. Are there any particular exercises that you can suggest? The breathing exercise that we just touched on briefly, I mean, you can look this up, is called the microcosmic orbit. That's the best exercise and essentially how it works is focusing on the energy. You can even visualize it like a little ball of light and using the breath, you draw it up the spine, up the back of the body and then down the front of the body. And so just continuing to breathe each breath, circulating the light through the system helps regulate and disperse the energy into your entire body. And Having said, oh, it takes a few weeks, it takes time to cultivate this, you feel immediately a noticeable change and the energy being dispersed. Other things that are helpful, anything that strengthens the muscles. So one non-sexual one you can do, this is very easy, is when you're going for a wee, to 
use your muscles to stop yourself mid-flow. And doing that, again, so easy. Each time you go for a wee, a couple of times will help with semen retention. For sure. And I think others are testicle massage and jelking as well. And I know what men are thinking. Will my penis grow? And the answer is yes, it will grow if you do this regularly. I didn't actually know that. Wow. It does. But as midlife men, I think it won't grow as much, maybe on average half an inch. But if you're in your late teens or early 20s listening to this, then you can grow by a lot. Of course, that's a wonderful bonus. But the main reason is just using the energy for the right reasons to achieve greater things in life. Fantastic. And of course, this episode serves as a primer. So if you want me to dig deeper into Tantra, do let me know and we can have a dedicated episode. So on sound healing, you're an expert in sound healing as well. I would humbly call myself an expert. (laughs) Yeah, I think linking it to men specifically, I think one of the biggest most prevalent problems for men is accessing and releasing their emotions. And sometimes modalities that involve talking, talking therapies, counselling, men's work, group work, can be too difficult, too confronting when you're in the early stages of your healing So things like sound healing are amazing because they work at an energetic level. The frequencies of certain instruments help clear stagnant energy from the body and remove blocks. And that can be such a powerful tool for accessing the body of trapped or repressed emotions that men have been carrying for years so just simply talking is that what you're saying simply talking with somebody can release no no opposite i mean talking is great talking therapy i'm a big advocate of but sometimes talking is not enough to penetrate blocks or the defenses that we have against people seeing what's going on internally so something about sound and sound healing people drop into this very relaxed open state and without any words without any cognitive or conscious understanding of what's happening the emotions just start to bubble up to the surface you also hold sound baths what are sound baths and how can it help they take a lot of different formats but essentially you'll lie on a mat with a blanket and a pillow almost like you're going to sleep and People, someone will sing, play different instruments and the sound waves of specific instruments, different frequencies help move the energy through your body. Amazing for relaxation, for healing and for accessing all the stuff that's trapped in your system. I've been to one of your sound baths and they are indeed amazing. Oh, good. (laughs) So maybe that could potentially be a starting point for people just going to a sound bath. That's pretty simple. Not much you have to do. You just lie there essentially and let the experts take over and you just focus on energy and the movement of energy. That could be a good starting point potentially. Definitely. And the stuff that comes up is fascinating. Some people laugh, some people cry, some people fall asleep and it's just not a conscious thing. You go where you need to go 
and just allowing yourself to go on the journey, it can show you things going on inside yourself that you had no idea were there. That's the hardest part, I think, when you're in such sound baths or such sessions to not think about the chores that you have to do. You really have to leave that at the door and just be with yourself, be with your body and just let the energy flow. Sure. And it's like a meditation in that respect that people are often very hard on themselves for why am I not able to lie here for an hour completely present, free of thoughts? But you wouldn't expect yourself to be able to meditate for an hour without a thought passing through your head. It's the same practice of, yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm being present. Yes, I'm relaxing. But if a thought comes in about something unrelated, then just quietly without judgment, I'll observe it and then take my attention back to this moment, back to my body, back to the sound. And it's slightly easier than a a meditation in that you are lying in a completely relaxed state and often you do fall asleep too, but nothing, there's no quick way to switch our thoughts off, sadly. For sure, for sure. And for those listening, sound healing may not be the healing discipline for you, but it's a great starting point. It's very simple. And even if you do go to a sound bath, you'll come in contact with the type of people who also want to heal and you enter those types of circles and your knowledge will grow as a result and a rabbit hole will open and eventually you'll find a discipline that works for you. So that is a great starting point, I'd say, for a lot of people. Just on sound as well, and from my own knowledge, what are psychoacoustics and vibroacoustics? Is that something you work with? So psychoacoustics is this study, essentially, of sound, timbre, different frequencies, how it can impact the human body, human response. And there's been a lot of studies, scientific studies now, to look at exactly what happens to the body when under the influence or listening to certain sounds, certain frequencies can help our brains switch from this active thinking mode into the restful meditative mode. And when I said, oh, it's a lot easier than meditating, that's really why, because the sound is working on your brain to help you get to the place that you're trying to go. Um, Other ways in which the body is impacted is our nervous systems switch from the aggravated vital flight state into that juicy parasympathetic nervous system rest and digest state, which is great for combating stress and relaxation too. And then vibral acoustics is the other thing you said. That is similar, but at a deeper level. So it's the ability for sound and different frequencies to impact us genetically, impact our DNA. So you touched on at the beginning of this conversation, the idea that we come into this life carrying certain baggage. Now that you can interpret it scientifically as well as just from a a nurture, conditioning perspective. But the study of epigenetics shows that our DNA is influenced not just by 
what we're born with, but also by what happens to us in this lifetime. And so using sound as a tool to positively influence our DNA is something that can lead to very powerful healing. I wonder if any, whether psychoacoustics or vibroacoustics has worked on somebody with a disability to heal them from physical disability. I wonder if there's been such cases. I'd love to find that out somehow. I'm sure there are cases. I'm not sure. And I definitely do not want to be accused of spreading misinformation. <laughs> no, no, I don't either. But I was just curious. Yes, sound heals everything, even disabilities. Perhaps. There certainly was a study done on plants where, have you seen this? No. It's quite amazing. They, in a lab, had some plants and one group of plants, they played classical music to you from a speaker. And the other group of plants, they played quite grungy rock music. And the plants, which had the classical music, grew upwards and towards the speaker like they were moving towards it and the ones who were played rock music shriveled up and died rock music was it specifically rock music i'm sure if you look it up you can find out exactly what music was played although whatever artist created that music i'm sure will have tried to bury it to bury that study again that's another example of it impacting things at a cellular level yeah similarly with water as well if you play more soothing music versus heavy jagged type of music and when you crystallize that water, the water listening to the soothing music forms a lot more geometrically beautiful shapes compared to the water that was listening to more jagged, heavier type of music. For sure, we think a lot about diets in terms of what am I putting into my body, but really diet should be so much wider than just what do I eat. It applies to everything you consume. Everything that you're interacting with on a daily basis is influencing your system. And I say that with a heavy caveat that no one should be living their life in fear of what comes into your body or what you're consuming because we're all powerful instruments for our own internal alchemy and transmutation and can turn anything into something else Um, because I know there's a lot of spiritual and health neuroses around too. And is there a link between sound and chakras? Chakras being the seven energy centers we have on our body running up and down our spine, each representing an aspect of our body and our life. So is there a link between sound and chakras? Yeah, so each chakra has a specific sound or frequency that helps rebalance it as an energy center. And if you've seen crystal singing bowls or gongs, often they're tuned to a certain note that corresponds with a specific chakra. So F is the heart chakra for example, and those sounds will help to clear any stagnant energy from that particular energy centre. Other practices like kundalini yoga, certain syllable sounds or chants are used for each specific chakra in conjunction with different postures. I mean, you can feel it in real time. Oh, okay, wow, this vibration is really touching me here. Sound is indeed very interesting. 
And I'd like to learn more about it, actually. So let's come on to psychedelics. Okay, yes. We're talking about naturally occurring psychedelics, not synthetic ones or designer ones. So those that occur in nature. How can some of these psychedelics help us? What do they do? It's funny you saying naturally occurring as well, because when I think about I mean, this huge body of psychedelics out there, but 90% of them are naturally occurring, which is unlike a lot of other drugs. I know we still classify them as a drug in this country, but really they're used medicinally in other parts of the world. And I think they deserve to be treated and respected as medicine here too. And I touched on this a little bit at the beginning. So much of our trauma, so much of our conditioning, so much of our suffering is locked away tightly in our subconscious. And what we experience on a day-to-day basis are the symptoms of what's buried deep in our subconscious. So we find ourselves in unhealthy relationships. We find ourselves going through the same patterns and cycles over and over again, suffering, and yet we're unable to change, unable to break free of these patterns. And psychedelics can be the key to unlock Pandora's box. That's challenging to start rummaging around inside and actually see, okay, this is where all these symptoms that I've been living and experiencing are actually coming from. But through opening the box, we can also clear out the junk and live the rest of our lives free of the stories of the conditioning that has kept us stuck, kept us trapped until this point. Uh, So I was at a ayahuasca retreat earlier this year, as you know, and I went in knowing what I wanted out of it, but came out not necessarily getting what I wanted, but getting what I needed out of it. It was direction. It was almost like instructions. And I needed that. I was overlooking some things because I just wanted to achieve, hit milestones, achieve greater things, just looking at the end result all the time. But sometimes it's the process as well. I think the ayahuasca retreat did that for me. It pointed out the correct path for me. So it was a very, very useful experience for me, I'd say. And for those considering it, I would highly recommend it. So ayahuasca is one type of naturally occurring psychedelic. So what does it do then to the subconscious or... What does it bring out, actually? How does it work? The psychedelic compound in it is DMT, and this can induce visions, changes in cognitive processes. So you can be feeling lucid, and yet your mind is generating thoughts that you would never have in a lucid state. Suddenly you're looking at situations, you're looking at your life, but through a completely different lens and seeing things that thinking, that's so obvious. Why did I not see it before? And the other thing that's very common is this expansion of perspective. So particularly as we get older, we start to become quite set in our ways and we go through things in a certain process. We form more habits. We become more rigid, both mentally and physically. And ayahuasca is 
incredible for just broadening the mind, the perspective, helping you see things in new ways. And it's also very good more so than some of the other psychedelics for accessing emotions and emotional healing because it's got a feminine quality to it. I mean, the shamanic tribes, they call it the mother or the grandmother. And you can feel that you go on an emotional journey that can be emotional release, emotional healing, accessing things that have been repressed for a very long time. And many times, though we get the visions, the messages, we don't want to accept it or we're not. That means we're essentially not open to it. So I suppose when we go into one of these retreats or try these out, we really have to be open to receiving whatever we have to receive and have to respect Mother Ayahuasca, as you said, the spirit, the feminine spirit. We have to respect her. We can't go in arrogantly and necessarily expect a solution straight away. You may have to go to multiple ayahuasca retreats. Is that the case or is it normal? It's so varied. Some people come once and they never come again and their life is totally transformed. And some people come four or five times before they feel like, okay, I've got what I need to from this process. In my experience, if you have complex trauma, and by that I mean there's been a number of different layers, disorders, PTSD perhaps, sometimes you do need to work on certain issues in isolation. It's not always the case and we do have seemingly miracle results sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, the thing that you said about you get what you need, which isn't necessarily what you want or what you expect, but you get what you need, I think applies to the pace at which we heal too. The ayahuasca will never give you more than you're ready to see. And so if you are someone who's extremely traumatized and has a lot of blocks and perhaps is very sensitive, you're not going to receive all the information about every single thing that you need to do straight away. You'll get a little bit, the things that you need to progress and take the next steps. And then maybe you go back in a year's time or two years time, having integrated the lessons and you get a little bit more. Whereas someone who is ready for everything will just have Pandora's box opened and tipped over there. I'm a pretty calm person, but I do want to make sure I have control of the future and of the outcomes. But in the ayahuasca retreat, it did take me to a state where I was panicking. I panicked and I don't panic. I never panic, but it took me to that extreme level. And afterwards, the next day I realized that's what I needed because I panicked, but I'm still alive. Everything is still working as normal. There is no need to stress over things. There was one of the many lessons I learned from that retreat. Of course, I can go into a lot more detail, but that was one of the key ones that came out. That's a really common pervasive problem I think for men in general because it's part of the masculine script of be in control be in the driver's seat have it all figured out what's your five-year plan and the stress that that puts on men to think well I need a five-year plan I need to have it figured out I need to be in control in reality there are always so many things that we are not in control of. We are at the mercy of nature. We are at the mercy of life all the time. And carrying the burden of 
feeling the need to be in control, I can imagine how challenging that was and also how wonderful it must be to be free of it. I mean, the next day was amazing. It was incredible. (laughs) And I got a lot of direction in business ventures that I wanted to do and just how I wanted my life to sort out. But I felt a lot more free about it, like let things unfold as they unfold. So the next day was incredible. And of course, with ayahuasca, so generally associated with it is the purge. So people have to be ready for that. But what is that purge? It's not food. It's almost like black liquid. So what, what is that purge, essentially? Mm. The purge is whatever you need to release. It could be physical, organic matter that's blocked in your system. It could be negative emotions, negative energy, past traumas. It's crazy what comes out when you think about it you've been fasting you've been fasting for so many hours and yet there's a real cathartic sensation when you purge when you release this stuff and this feeling that it's not like what it feels like to be sick in any other context which is unpleasant it does feel like a cathartic release and almost immediately you feel a sense of lightness and relief yeah i always thought that the purge that comes out the blackish liquid is essentially emotions that have been liquefied you can't touch emotions but when it becomes that liquid you can't basically touch it it's liquid and that's what comes out is that fair to say definitely a lot of what our blocks are is stagnant emotional energy that's trapped in the system and we are able to access and release this trapped emotional energy on a daily basis if we sat down and we cried about everything that made us sad in the week but the vast majority of people don't do that and the thing is that we get a huge backlog in our lifetime of everything right from when we're babies and our parents turn to us and say don't cry that's when it starts that's when the emotional repression starts and that continues throughout the course of our lifetime so by the time in your midlife and you're drinking ayahuasca there's a lot to clear for sure There were three sessions across three days. The first one was difficult. That's what I described earlier. The second one was, it started difficult. There was purge, but then there was nothing more to purge. It was almost like that was the end. There was nothing left in the body. And then I went back to sleep and I had the most amazing experience. It was like everything that needed to come out of the body came out. And again, I felt like Superman. I was getting visuals and it was amazing. So that purge is very important. It's getting all that bad stuff out in one go essentially it's so numbing when we're carrying it it blocks us from the richness of life from the peaks of our joy because it's just this stagnant heaviness that sits in our body and what you described of just releasing it and then transcending into this beautiful euphoric superman-like state on the other side is something that we all experience in our in our lives when we do finally have an emotional breakthrough, finally cry or scream or shout or whatever it is that you need to do, there's a moment on the other side of that feeling where you feel just a glimpse of that euphoria, start to see the light again. And just very quickly before we move on, are there any side effects like chemical addiction to ayahuasca or anything similar? It's not addictive and I think you can attest to this Perhaps it is the purging that means that no one is like, more. There always comes a point where people are like, please, there's no more for quite some time. So yeah, addiction, not an issue. 
I think there are, I wouldn't say side effects, but I'd say risks. And I'd say this is powerful stuff. You're tapping into a very, very deep, sometimes very deep, very dark parts of yourself. And so making sure you're in safe hands, working with experienced facilitators, and also looking at your health and making sure that you don't have any conditions that might be contraindicated with ayahuasca is important research and thinking before deciding to embark on this kind of journey. And then the other thing I would say, which is not often talked about, we talk about you shouldn't do it if you've got this health problem or you shouldn't eat this if you're going to drink ayahuasca. But the biggest thing that should be an immediate red flag, this is not for me, is not getting the call. That is a concept that everyone who comes on a retreat talks about. They say, I just had this feeling that I had to do it. I felt so called to do it. And sometimes it comes out of the blue from nowhere. It's an energy, it's a spirit, and it's communicating to you. So if you get the call, you get the call. If you don't get the call, then nothing should make you drink ayahuasca in the same way that not every healing modality is for everyone. You'll get some harsh lessons if you're just trying to see what happens. I have a Hindu heritage and in our traditions, we do visit temples and do pilgrimages as well. And there are mountains or pilgrimage sites where the gods and goddesses will make it very easy for you to visit them when the calling is there. And when it's not, some obstacles comes on your way. The flight is delayed or you miss the flight or the roads are blocked. Some of those things happen. There is one mountain in North India for goddess Durga. It's very powerful. When she wants to see you, she will see you. She'll pave the way for you. I guess it's similar. You have to feel the calling. That is ayahuasca. And for you men listening who know that you've been missold a dream by this bullshit establishment, get a nine to five, get a retirement, <laughs> you feel you reach the glass ceiling and you need some direction, this is certainly one thing you can try out. Before we move on, I do want to touch on Bufo as well, another psychedelic. Oh, yes. What is Bufo? That is powerful as well. Yeah, so it's a psychedelic to, it's 5-MeO-DMT is the psychoactive compound. It's made from the Sonoran desert toad and essentially the toad is vaporized or inhaled. It is very good for people with control issues, difficulty, surrendering, difficulty, letting go. I have noticed. <laughs> and the reason for that being is that with ayahuasca, you remain in a semi-lucid state. And so to an extent, your ego can still be present and can still say, I don't want to go any deeper. I don't want to go any further. So you can resist it a little bit. Bufo, that is not the case. It's like being drop kicked through any internal resistance that you might have because it's so powerful and it's very fast acting. Whereas an ayahuasca ceremony takes eight to 10 hours. Bufo ceremony takes 20 minutes, 40 minutes. Absolute maximum it would take would be an hour. Yeah, once you are forced through your own internal resistance, 
it's like something will change in your brain. Very humbling experience to be aware of the fact that you aren't in control. So any illusion, idea that you are, just becomes a fabrication like that shown. You're not in control. I'm in control. Life is in control. The universe is in control. And that could be so powerful. You lose control. There is absolutely nothing you can do. When it takes over, it takes over and it's instant, not like ayahuasca. And you're gone. And even then I was struggling to let go, but it gave me some insights as well. In the 10, 15 minutes or so, gave me some insight as well, some direction, like a to-do list. And I remember one of the other fellows who was at the retreat as well, he said when the bufo hit him, he went to the center of the universe where he kept hearing om, om, om. When he said that, that was insane. I never thought it was a center of the universe, but when he says that, and when he said he was hearing Om, that really sat with me. So that was that. Also weed, marijuana. Is that a psychedelic as well? Technically, it is. You see a lot of CBD products knocking about now. That's the non-psychoactive part, but the THC element of weed can be psychoactive. Again, all of these are naturally occurring plants, medicines and I think similar to ayahuasca you have to be really honest about yourself what are your intentions are you using something in a spiritual capacity and have you been called to it because unlike ayahuasca there's more data to show that people can become dependent on it with weed with marijuana if you're practicing tantra is could weed be counterproductive from an erection point of view circulating energy point of view, because it relaxes you a lot. I think habitual use of any psychedelic or drug, stimulant, depressant, whatever it is, is going to impact your energy system. It's not to say that these things don't have a time and a place, but ritualistic use with clear intention is so far from the way that they are often used in the Western world. A god I like a lot is Lord Shiva. And he used to smoke weed as well. And he showed us a lot of paths mm. in life. So I'm pretty sure he used it properly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as it was supposed he was to be used. A habitual weed smoker. <laughs> like... I'd like to know how he used it because he showed mankind a lot of the good parts so i wonder how he used it you'll have to get some weed and ask the plant oh yeah that's right i'll do that next time <laughs> all right so we've covered a lot but i do want to cover one more thing and that is dreams you love deciphering dreams don't you i do love dreams because aside from ayahuasca aside from psychedelics dreams are one of the easiest way to access our subconscious mind. Our subconscious is literally speaking to us through our dreams. So when we are in that relaxed, juicy, open state, the dream is the subconscious's way of highlighting certain things to us. So I've interpreted a dream or two for you, dream, and I just love it. I'm like, send me your dreams, everyone. <laughs> they are fascinating in that they never quite mean what you think literally it's very easy to hone in on I was doing this with this person but in reality the subconscious speaks through every person being a part of 
you. So say you dream about your mum. It's not really your mum. It's the parts of your mum which are inside you. Or you dream about a relationship. It's less about the other person, but more about what are the qualities. And I mean, there's so many different nuances, but the most common one is what parts of myself am I repressing that want to come out? What parts of myself am I afraid to let come out? So looking at how did I feel about this person or how did I feel about that situation? And then letting that inform the narrative that's trying to come through. Let's elaborate on that. So if somebody sees their mother, how should we interpret that? Or what, what's the angle through which we should try to interpret it because it's not literal. I'll give a tangible example because sometimes these things are hard to understand conceptually. Let's say last night I dreamt that I was being attacked by my mum and I was scared about it and I felt like I was going to die. So I would first think about what are the qualities or the characteristics that I associate with my mum. I take that, that's one part of myself. But now there's another part of myself that's very fearful and scared and to an existential point where I think I might actually die. And what the subconscious is trying to communicate there is that there are parts of myself, these traits, these qualities to do with my mum, that I'm actually very afraid of because I'm fearful that they might kill me or lead to the destruction of self. In reality, it's possible that I'm repressing these parts of myself for fear of the death of my ego. And so my ego is trying to keep me safe by repressing the parts of myself that I identify with my mother. The action to take if you have a dream like that is how can I bring more of these traits into my life? How can I express more of the parts of myself that I'm afraid might have these negative consequences, but in reality, that's just the ego. Could we take another example? Yes. Look at you, so excited. <laughs> you love your dreams, don't you? Okay, I'll give another example. I dream, and this is a quite common one, actually, that people get freaked out about. I dream that I'm having sex with a co-worker. Now, particularly in a relationship, this kind of dream can be a bit freaky because you're thinking, oh God, I'm having a sex dream about someone that I'm working with. In reality, you start the process exactly the same way. Okay, this colleague, this co-worker, what are the traits that they embody? What are the qualities that I think of when I think about them? Sex is emerging, a physical combination, an integration. And so if you dream about having sex with someone, usually it's your subconscious saying, I want to merge, I want to embody more of this person's qualities. So it's actually got nothing to do with sex and seeing it as your subconscious communicating again the action would be express this person's traits more could we say the process for deciphering dreams is who is the person what attributes does he or she possess and then the action what's the action sex is the action at the very basic level sex is the merging mm. and the third part of it is what can i do to merge myself with those emotions, essentially. So we're looking at the person, the attributes they inhabit, and the action, the verb. What is the verb at the basic level? And then what does that mean, essentially? Yes. Any emotional reactions that you have 
are there to highlight usually in quite a dramatic way because our emotional responses in a dream state tend to be dramatized always helpfully to make them more obvious they highlight the more subtle emotions that might be influencing our reality in a day-to-day context and for those of you listening if sound healing tantric healing or psychedelics are too much for you then as melissa said dreams is a great easy starting point entry level entry level the gateway experience dream analysis yeah we all sleep and we all dream and we should really journal them journal our dreams definitely a lot of people will say oh i don't remember i don't remember and again this is a habit no one remembers by 10 o'clock in the morning what they've dreamt about unless you are very conscious intentional about have a journal have a pen next to your bed as soon as you wake up even if you wake up in the middle of the night just jot down a few words that will trigger the full memory of the dream later and i've noticed when i do journal my dreams i get more and more dreams And the days I decide not to journal my dreams, I get less and less of them. And with that, I get less and less insights, less and less direction. And it's almost like you're communicating with the universe when you do decide to write it down. You're telling the universe, give me more insights, more direction. And when you don't write it down, the universe pretty much says, okay, you don't want it, I won't give it to you. So in a way, that action of journaling your dream is you communicating to the universe, give me more or give me less. For sure. Wow. Very interesting, Melissa. So what's next for you? What are your programs? Always a bunch of ayahuasca retreats at various points through the year. And with the summer coming up, doing a few festivals, sound healing, sound bars at festivals over summer too. And then some different workshops and events too. Do you work more with women than men generally? I think I have more male clients, at least I definitely have more male coaching clients, probably about a 50-50 split for retreats and workshops. I've thought about this before. Why is there that bias? I think because perhaps the way that my brain works and the way that I think about things does resonate maybe with a masculine audience. And by that, I mean that I'm very rational. I don't believe in dogma. And I think each person should be empowered to conduct their own experiments on themselves. And I guess, yeah, some of the fields like working as well are probably more popular with men in general. Interesting. Men are waking up they to are. spirituality. <laughs> and where can people read more about you and find you? You can find me online on the World Wide Web. My website is energeticsexplained.com and on Instagram I'm energetics.explained and there you will find details of all my offerings. Fantastic. And we will link that below, of course. With that, thank you very much, Melissa. Thank you, Drew. You've been listening to Midlife Masculine Podcast. Find us on all major podcast platforms where we encourage you to like, share and subscribe or learn more at mlmpod.info. Thanks and see you next time on the Midlife Masculine Podcast.